welcome to Teachers Care Society, the podcast that talks about all news and development in the educational field. We have a good show for you today as I'm joined by Macy Malo, a pre-K teacher from Rhode Island, as we'll be discussing the benefits of small groups. So without further ado, let's jump right in. Today's guest is Macy, a pre-K teacher from Rhode Island. And first of all, welcome to the show. Happy New Year's and congratulations on making it through 2020. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Doing good. Doing good. It's uh, It was an eventful 2020. I just hope 2021 is a lot better. Absolutely. I hear you. So for you, there is lots of things to celebrate. Uh, new apartment, which is a pretty big deal. And then you also passed one of your teacher license, uh, licensure exams. Um, congratulations on that. Are you a big celebrator or is that, I guess, you know, your partner or your boyfriend, does he, does he do the celebrations? <laughs> Thank you. Um, I'm a big celebrator myself. <laughs> it is a huge milestone to have passed, um, that exam for myself. So needless to say, there were a lot of happy tears <laughs> shedded um, when I when the test um, scores were posted. Uh, congratulations. Which, which test was it anyway? I'm curious. Um, I have to take the Praxis. Um, it's... Um. Uh, mm-hmm. 5024 and 5025 for early childhood. Um, okay. All right. Here in California, um, there's like competency exam. So I guess there's like the CBEST, which is the basic, the California mm-hmm. basic. Um, and then there's the CSET for specific um, content areas like math and uh, in English. Mm-hmm. Um and then after that, I mean, after you pass all that and you get your bachelor's and you get credential, you still got to do the induction program, which is uh, either a year and a half or two years. And that's even more work um, as well. But yeah, no, congratulations wow. on you though. And then you actually had a quite an interesting journey to becoming a teacher. I think you describe yourself as you initially struggled in school yourself. I mean, from elementary all the way to college. And mm-hmm. now you're, you're here teaching the little ones. It comes full circle. <laughs> so, yes. what, 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 what exactly made you want to become a teacher? Um, so, I mean, like you said, I have struggled with school. Um, I was always one of those kids that just needed a little bit of extra help and a little bit of extra time. Um, and I come from a family of teachers. And one of the main reasons why I wanted to be a teacher was because I wanted to help kids that were kind of going through what I went through, make learning fun and have a good time in school. And then I also watched my parents and my grandparents and my uncles um, teach. And I just grew a love for it at such a young age. And the passion just drove me all the way to where I am today. Um, I can only imagine how the family reunions are where everyone's a teacher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you do have some quite interesting conversations, a lot of stories. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, you, um, I think you actually had, so you transitioned from distance learning to in person, right? Are you, are you teaching in person now? Correct. I am in person. We have gone distance a few times um, before Thanksgiving break. And then also before Christmas break, we were distance. So so you actually went back and forth? Yes, we did a little bit um, only because we were just so low on staff. It was really the only reason why we had to go um, distance. There wasn't any outbreaks, thank goodness. But it was really just because of the staff and it was interesting. Yeah, it sounds like a, like a whiplash going back and forth, yes. back and forth. <laughs> yes. So I guess let's talk about, so the very first transition where uh, transition from distance learning to in-person, did you feel ready? Like did the district give you enough time to prep? Um, yes and no. Um, I was distance learning back in May as well. So I kind of knew what they expected of us. Um, but it was a whole new class, a whole new kids. So obviously that brings its normal challenges. Um, so I was kind of prepared as much as I could be, I guess I could say. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, uh, for me over the summer, we knew there were going to be distance learning and, Mm -hmm. 
I didn't I, know what grade I was going to be teaching until two weeks before. And then, loud. I mean, we try our best to plan, but I don't even know my students. So I could say, oh, this is going to work great. They're, they're going to love this. They're going to love this. And then when it comes to teaching them, like they have no interest at all mm-hmm. in all the stuff that I prep. So exactly. Yeah, I definitely see no matter no amount of time doesn't really prepare you for for distance learning so yeah and then back then when you were teaching by distance learning i think you described yourself almost like feeling like a like a youtube content creator and i, I can definitely agree it's all the time in front of the screen and recording and i'm, I'm kind of a perfectionist so i want to make sure i get my recording right um i, I just prep so much digital content in advance and it is a lot of work and after a while i, I got a little bit smarter with some of the stuff that i was trying to do like certain variables that mm-hmm. i knew would stay the same um, I kept it and then I only changed like when you the small little tweaks, for example, I do morning circle and pretty much the content is the same over almost every week. So it's the same thing for every Monday and the next Monday and et cetera, et cetera. And so I would use the same, uh, same format or same presentation and I would just change our, like the shape of the week or the color of the week or the seasons of the week. Um, so that was me being a little bit smarter, but it's, it's, it's still a lot of work for, for you. What resources did you find yourself using a lot for distance learning? I used, um, so we communicate with our parents through class dojo. Um, and I found myself using that a lot because a lot of my parents were working still. So my, a lot of my kids couldn't join a zoom or couldn't do anything during the day. They did most of their work at the end of the day, um, when their parents got home from work. So I used videos, um, I would record myself reading a story and post it on class dojo for them to read whenever or to listen to rather at their convenience. And then I posted assignments there and I, that was really like my main source. And then I did zoom morning meetings with my kids, but it really ended up being like a show and tell. They didn't (laughs) want to hear from me. They just wanted to show me their room, their bed, a cake they were having later, anything and everything. So it ended up just, I just let them talk because I know they needed that interaction. Yeah, that's, that's funny how they, it always, uh, show and tell. One of my <laughs> teacher friends, he, one of her students like grabbing the device and it, it's a tablet. So it's a lot easier to carry than, than, uh, than a Chromebook or a laptop. But anyway, they, they grab the tablet and they're giving a tour of the whole class of the whole uh, house. And I guess the bathroom was open and then like, and here's my mom in the shower. <laughs> oh my goodness. So, I mean, you, you, especially dealing with the little ones, they don't have a filter. So oh, you know. not at all. Not at all. I believe that wholeheartedly. <laughs> so I that was pretty funny and uh, it was a good experience, I guess. Uh, everyone got a good laugh. And uh, I mean, I, from from what the teacher described, since you know, it was hot water, it was pretty foggy. So uh, you can really make anything out, but it's still oh, a mortifying goodness. experience for that mom. <laughs> Definitely. And uh, here, so let's jump to our first, um, our first topic and that's, uh, small groups. So, mm-hmm. uh, so providing instruction in small groups has been like one of the most commonly used ways to di- differentiate and support students in the classroom mm-hmm. and small group instructions usually follows after a whole group instruction. So basically after the teacher gives instructions, this is what we're learning. The teacher usually the small group, uh, kind of like an informal assessment and they teach you walk around to students and you know the students can work on a sample problem and you know, the teacher can have the students show the work on a whiteboard all at once or um and then another idea is having the teacher use these small groups to reinforce or reteach specific skills or concepts and, uh, you know, in a redacted, uh, student teacher ratio. And so usually these students, small groups, they range from four to six students and they either can be a homogeneous or heterogeneous, um, really just depends on whatever the educator wants to achieve. Um, and then now for teachers who haven't really done small group instruction yet, the first thing I would recommend is setting up your classroom so that it allows a small group. Um, 
obviously I teach, I'm teaching value distance learning now, but if, if I were in the classroom, the, the way I would set it up is either, either, either you want to have desk in rows, then that pretty much says it's a lot harder to do small group that way because, um, just imagine a, a giant lecture hall. It's mm-hmm. doesn't really allow for, uh, the tables aren't really set up in groups or, uh, in a way where maybe the students are facing each other to, to allow that small group. So that's the first thing I would tackle. Um, and so if you do want to deal with small groups, you know, maybe have maybe groups of four or, or set up the, the desk in clusters so that it does allow that, um, that small group environment. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I'm always looking for students to work in groups. Um, that's, that's one of the ways I do it. I even have carpet areas where maybe there's like designated spots that we call them like lily pads. And so designated spots where we have students sit down if they do want to work in small groups on the floor for you, how do you set up your classroom environment for small groups? So my classroom is really set up into centers primarily. Um, we do a lot of center work more than like small group or whole group lessons. Um, so I have my room set up in centers and I have about four, five tables in the kind of sporadically placed. Um, they're each in a center, but they're also in like kind of the middle of my classroom. Um, but I have one table that I designate as the small group table. It is a round table, um, that it is kind of in the front corner of my classroom. So that way, when I'm sitting with that group, I can still position myself in a way that I can see my whole classroom. Um, that's always one of the most important things. I think I even learned in school was to always make sure you can see everyone at all times. So I always make sure whether I'm just working in in centers with kids or actually sitting at the small group table, working with them, I always make sure I'm in a position where I can see everybody so I can still work with the kids I'm working on, but also keep an eye. I mean, I have a teacher assistant, so she helps out too, but I always like to keep an extra eye out too. Yeah. I mean, so I, I guess, so the way I do it, I have the three small groups. So, mm-hmm. uh, one in every corner, except you know, minus the one where my, my desk is at. And I do that. So from anywhere in the room, I can see what's happening in one corner and the other corner. And also at the same time, I mean, you and I deal with the little ones. So mm-hmm. <laughs> like kids like to slowly uh, sneak away from one small group to the other, even though they're supposed to be in my small group. <laughs> so I, I leave big gaps yeah. so that um, if they're having seen maybe a meltdown or a breakdown or they somehow escaped their small group um, while they're working with my aides. And uh, there's a little bit of time that uh, they can, you know, we can intervene before they reach in and maybe disrupt another small group. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's the way I have it. Cause yeah, I mean, I, I, I see why people would like, would like to have those, uh, desk in a row. Cause it, mm-hmm. I guess if you do it that way, it's really more teacher oriented because everyone's facing the teacher and not really facing the other students. But if you really want small groups and, you know, set up the classroom so that encourages students to, to talk with each other. And Absolutely. I always say it's easier changing up your classroom arrangement than changing your teaching style. So if you already have an 100%. environment that encourages yeah, group work, then you're starting off on the right foot. So we're all social people by nature and setting up groups like this allows students to interact and bounce ideas off each other. I know that most teachers use small groups for a particular group of students, whether it's uh, English language learners, special ed, mm-hmm. at risk. Um, but in reality, everyone can benefit from small group instruction. And it all really depends on what your goal is is and what this means is being aware of your students instructional needs and that means also having data tracking analyzing Mm -hmm. through multiple uh, ways of assessment and use this data to determine the certain deficits in students and trying to figure out the large learning targets and if you want you can tie it into the state standards as well and so once you identify all this then uh, you can decide which students you want to work with how do you want to set up your small groups and then um, basically what are the other students going to be doing while you're working with that one specific small group. Do you do a lot of assessments to determine which students might benefit from groups or how do you like prep for the small groups? I do. Um, I feel like I'm always taking assessment data. I'm always jotting down um, little things that they say or 
how they did on something or how they answered a question. I feel like I'm always taking notes, um, as much as I can while also still being present. I feel like that's one thing we may struggle with as teachers. I know I do. Um, if I don't write it down, I most likely will forget it. So I have sticky notes on my desk that I'm constantly running to or a notepad, uh, that I take around with me in the classroom and I'll jot it down. Um, and it probably wouldn't make sense to anybody else but me, <laughs> but <laughs> it works. Yeah, we're always uh, taking lots of data. So I tried, so I tried having a notepad, note, notepad mm-hmm. to carry with me around, and then I would just leave it at the at the centers or the stations, and I would just forget about it by the end of the day. And so then I recently resorted to to clickers to kind of track certain behavior um data for example the amount of times the student is off task or the amount of time the students might might try and lunge at me and mm-hmm. so i did that for a while and then while i was teaching some of the kids would start yanking on it while i was working with another student so i got rid of that and then i eventually transitioned i don't you know, I might sound crazy, but I, I have this uh, masking tape that I put on my, on my pants, on my legs, and I'll just mark it on it. Um, and that, that way, I mean, I, I don't have to worry about carrying it around because it's on my pants. So I have, I have a Sharpie and then I'll be writing some data or just quick little notes, like one or two sentences, um, on the, on the masking tape or what, not one or two sentences, but one or two words. And, uh, that is yeah, an we'll, interesting method. Yeah. We'll yeah. see how long that lasts. But I mean, <laughs> it, it, it's a funny image. I'm sure of a, an administrator yes. or another adult would come in. Like, what is this person <laughs> doing? Uh, you know, but yeah, that's, that, that's what I've been doing. And so, yeah, let's see how that, how that works. Um, I feel like teaching is a lot of trial and error and <laughs> yeah, whatever yeah. works best for you and whatever gets, quote unquote, the job done and it works for you, then who cares if you look a little crazy? Yeah. The only thing I do worry about if maybe, uh, if I, I forget to take it off and I'm maybe I'm walking to the, to the lounge or to the office mm-hmm. to get something and then someone might like pull it off my, off my leg or you know, something and they might think it's a cruel joke. Like one of those kick me signs or like, Oh, Mr. Morales, why do you have this, this sticker on here? But yeah. So after you do that, so once you do have the students you want to work with, then you got to decide how do you want to organize your students, um, the, the organize the students that aren't going to be working directly with you. And if you do have the luxury, like you and I do have the luxury of having more than one adult in the classroom. Mm-hmm. I have paraeducators. Sometimes some people have parent volunteers, uh, or sometimes there's other services as well. And so what you want to do is figure out what those adults are going to do with those other students, with the other groups. And so I got to decide, do you want the homogeneous or the heterogeneous groups? And the group that I work with is usually homogeneous. I try and group them together as far as the students that might be working on the same, um, support, whether it's academically or social or behavior or emotional, whatever it may be, I try and cluster them together. And for the other groups, it really depends on you, whether you want them to be like homogeneous groups. And if you do, you can provide different content based on those academic levels. For example, last year I had different literacy groups based on their reading comprehension level. And each group had like different materials based on their, their, their levels. So I would have the red group, the green group, yellow group, and each group uh, meant a certain level for their uh, reading comprehension and mm-hmm. all these groups are essentially reading the same story or articles, but the content, like as far as the reading difficulty was different for each group. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, uh, the other groups that aren't working with you, you could also have the option to do like heterogeneous groups where it's a diverse group of students with just a varying levels of educational needs. And the idea here is to have maybe one student be the leader or the more responsible one. And then, uh, it could even be a higher achieving student. And basically mm-hmm. you can assign roles to all the students in the group. So that way everyone is participating. Everyone knows they are just as equally important as maybe that one student who you leave in charge. Um, and also trying to discourage from putting all the, all the work on, on this one student, you know, 
because that'll happen most of the time if you leave a student in charge or the group or students students even know like oh this is the smart student let's have him or let's have him or she do all the work mm-hmm. so some some ideas that you have for the different roles could be like a moderator a presenter a note taker um just to make sure everyone participate and not just have that one student who just sits there with their arm crossed all right everyone's doing work except me that's great so Try, try, I try to assign roles. Uh, and then of course you can also rotate the roles. So that way it's not the same student every single time. Like all the students always a note taker, all the students mm-hmm. always the, the presenter. Um, do you set roles for your students in, in small groups? I don't. Um, I typically only have one small group going at a time. My school, we do a lot of play. So a lot of our learning takes place in play. So most when I'm working with a small group, my kids are playing in dramatic play or blocks or science and exploring and learning that way. And then I pull a small group of kids of four to six at a time and we're working on something that I know they need strengthen. Um, so I don't typically assign a role because it's usually a hands-on activity that we're doing and they get immediate, um, results and gratification and I'm the one leading it typically. Mm, I like that. Yeah. Dramatic play. It's always a lot of fun when you, oh, they love uh, it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, for me, so Something I think you would agree on. So something, if so for small groups to really work, there's a lot of planning um, mm-hmm. because not you're not only planning for the small groups you might be pulling out or the ones you're working with directly, mm-hmm. but the rest of the class needs to know what they're going to do. Like for example, you know, you said the dramatic play, like uh, they need to know their, what it is they're going to be doing, what it is they're going to be playing, what might be mm-hmm. off limits. And so I try and really have lesson plans uh, when I'm working with other adults mm-hmm. um, or even just, uh, last year I was with the older group, so with the older students. And so I try and keep it really simple so that not only my students can read it, I mean, also my aides can read it as well. Uh, Cause I have a habit of writing too much or going really into detail and that, you know, it's like size five print <laughs> on a piece of paper <laughs> when it should really, really should be bullet points. Uh, so I, I learned that lesson. So yeah, try and keep it. The instructions very simple. Everyone can follow along. Um, especially since I'm, I'm not going to be working with the students directly. And so that way the adults and the students know what is being asked. <clears throat> And you know, this means I should also have all the materials and supplies easily accessible and uh, just also identified as well. Uh, so, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to have just like a desk or maybe I don't want to have like, uh, yeah, I don't want to have, um, all the materials, you know, by the desk or by the table and they all look exactly the same. And then all of a sudden the students have to go guessing which one it is. So I, I try and identify. So like I had the blue and the red group and the yellow group, I would have folders uh, designated with color. Um, but if not designated with color, um, we also had other small groups, like, like the table groups so whatever the, 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 the giraffe group or the elephant group, they, each group had their own name. And so that's another way I labeled it. And labeling of the materials should really be straight to the point. Uh, even on the days that I'm not there and maybe there's a sub, the sub should be easily able to find the stuff as well. Um, or sometimes I would be late to a meeting and I had the, I had the the secretary make an announcement to my classroom over the intercom saying like, all right, students, uh, you know, Mr. Morales will be there in like five minutes. Go ahead and get started on this and this. And they already know where the stuff is and how to get it. And so for you, how do you organize, I guess, your classroom materials for small groups? Um, I usually prepare them and then they're in... I usually keep them in small baggies um, near my desk because I'm the one typically running it. I'll bring it to the table and I'll do it with the kids. Um, but if ever I was out and my TA was out, um, I always leave like a note well scripted. <laughs> here's everything you need. Here's tips. Here's tricks. Here's what you need to know about my kids, the lesson plan, everything. Um I always like to be well prepared if I'm going to be out, even if I'm going to be out and it's just my TA, I'll still do the same thing. Um, 
live very well descripted with everything. <laughs> I'll leave it on my desk the night before if I know I'm going to be out. <laughs> I like the idea of the, of the, of the bags. They, are they, like, how do you, how do you organize the bags? Are they all the same exact thing or they're a specific bag for each student? Um, it's typically based on the group. So I'll do a baggie for, um, each group, whether it's differentiated or not. Um, but there'll be a bag for each group that I plan on taking. So there's usually about three bags and I'll do three small groups. So it's one for each group and I'll label who's in that group. Okay. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Yeah. Um, when it comes to organizing, yeah, I like your idea. Just keep it simple, like three. That's easy because mm-hmm. if uh, you try and have like all these dividers and all these bags for every single student, then it can uh, it can be a lot of work and <laughs> can uh, it can be confusing too. So. Absolutely. So I, I need to bring up what happens if you let students choose their groups. So there are definitely pros and cons and. If I allow students, all right, pick your own groups. They're all going to choose working with their friends. And Mm -hmm. this might work if you do model with your class. Like, all right, I'll let you choose your own groups. But when you choose your friends, you still got to be working. And so you could let them know that you're letting them know these are behavior and these are the academic expectations you want. And you can give warnings too. And some teachers like putting like warnings on the, on the whiteboard at the front. Oh, that's warning number one, warning number two. And then we're done with small groups, something like that. Mm -hmm. Basically letting them know what's going to happen if they fool around these certain privileges or this certain consequences are going to happen. And generally speaking, the ratio, if we're doing like heterogeneous groups, um, perhaps maybe having maybe like one gifted student and two average and maybe one lower achieving student. And, um, and then again, assigning roles to the students. So that way not everyone is doing all the work. Do you see any, any cons like with having students choose their own groups or maybe just like the difference between heterogeneous and homogeneous groups? I, um, well, when you let them pick their own groups, like you said, they immediately go (laughs) to their little best friend, um, which of course is fine, but sometimes it just ends up being a fun free for all. Um, so I would say that's the downfall of that. As for, um, having the same group. Um, I think it's nice because they don't have to feel like I don't know this and somebody else is calling out the answers and it doesn't, it gives them the motivation to try where I can see where I, when I have, um, heterogeneous groups, they tend to my kids that need more support tend to back off a little bit and not seem as interested because the ones who are maybe the, um, the more gifted student will just call out the answers because they know it and it's almost too easy for them. Um, so I find that more of the homogeneous groups work best, um, just because it eliminates that, um, factor of they know and I don't. And I feel like at pre-K age to, I don't want to instill that mentality where like, I can't speak up because what if it's wrong? Um, cause that's how I grew up in school where I had that mentality. So I never wanted to answer a question. Um, so it all goes back into how I was, <laughs> how I came to be a teacher. Um, so I always have that in the back of my mind. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. If you're, you know, with, uh, heterogeneous groups and you have a mix of students, maybe some lower and higher achieving, then it, it can definitely be intimidating if you're mm-hmm. one of the students on the, you know, the lower achieving and yeah, it, you know, your higher achieving students are going to respond quick and sometimes they might get a little bit impatient and they'll just do all the work and leave certain students behind. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, yeah, you're, you might be a little bit more hesitant because like, you don't, you don't want to embarrass yourself, I guess, in front of your, in front of your peers. So. Absolutely. And then they even end up waiting for that person to answer. And then they just say whatever that person said. So then it's hard to understand if as a teacher, are they getting the concept and they just need an extra time to think about it or are they really 
hearing what that higher achieving student is saying and just repeating it back to me because they know that student is typically always right. Yeah, you're right. One of the kind of combat this, uh, I know some teachers saying, oh, make sure you know, everyone in your group has an answer because I might pick on someone from that group. And so I guess you can, that's, that's another way I guess you could promote making sure everyone's talking to each other and not everyone's, all right, let's just copy this. Let's just copy Matthews because he's always right. And I see, I see that as well, but um, I still see the, the students on, on the, the lower achieving still getting left behind. They're just copying something down because... That's, that's what the, you know, quote unquote, the smart kid is doing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Absolutely. So I, now you make me curious. What, what was, uh, what was so, I guess, what was your worst, I guess, small group, your worst, like small group experience for yourself when you were in school? Oh boy. Um, I just always felt like I was the dumb kid, you know? Um, I always kind of figured out like that I was placed that way. And that didn't make me want to try harder. It almost um, made me want to like pull back because I was already labeled as the like lower achieving student. Um, So I never really felt great about school because of that. Hmm. I see. Uh, kids are very aware. If I'm constantly <laughs> oh, in, a, in a certain group and I know maybe the student is, uh, maybe the student's always absent and maybe that's why they get lower grades mm-hmm. and I'm with this group of students and I'm certainly going to be like, aware, like, wait a second, why am I always in this group <laughs> with, uh, yeah. with these it, students there? Oh, why am I always working with the teacher? And mm-hmm. they're very aware. <laughs> it definitely didn't take me long to figure it out as a student. Um, and I mean, I knew it as well as I got older. I kind of just accepted it. But as I mean, as humans, we just compare ourselves to others. And I just never liked that being instilled in me at such a young age to just, oh, I'm with this group again. And I'll never be with that group because I need all the extra help. So it was never fun. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things uh, I dreaded was after a test or a big assessment and Mm -hmm. the teacher would say, oh, only... 10 people passed and like <laughs> a class of thir- a class of 30. And so these 10 can work another assignment. And I always dreaded that. Cause then you're waiting to see if your name gets called to be one of those lucky 10. <laughs> if not, then you're going to be working in a small group, uh, you know, with the mm-hmm. teacher or with the other students. And, uh, yeah, again, and then again, you're going to be in a group of, of particular students. And then you're aware like, well, if I'm not in that group, then that must mean I'm in, uh, the lower achieving group exactly. so, uh, again they're 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 very they're very aware so mm-hmm. I, uh, no matter what age so. yes which is what i try to eliminate as a teacher like i don't want my students feeling that way especially pre-k like most of my students it's their first time in school i don't want them to already feel that way their first time in school and then carry that with them for the next however many years at least 12 till high school you know yeah okay so that was your worst what was your best then um my best would probably be when i was working my way out of those lower achieving groups um where i finally felt like okay i got this i can do this and i kind of got my act together uh, i see That's, okay yeah um i guess for me i guess the best experience is uh where it was a very hands-on activity and the teacher would change our small groups like every five minutes like just just because i was with this group of students right here Mm -hmm. um i'm not i don't don't remember exactly how the teacher did it but like she randomized it like for example i was I was assigned on a number one and then the other student in my group was number two. And so basically the teacher would say, all right, all the number twos go here. All the number ones go here. And then the teacher would say, all right, pick one, one and pick two. And it was just a very random. So you were never with the same group of students uh, you know, for, for more than 10 minutes because we would change every 10 minutes. And I thought that was a pretty neat experience because uh, it kind of kept us on our toes. And like, I wonder who I'm going to be with next. And mm-hmm. it was really randomized and 
it wasn't really based on like, oh, these are the higher achieving, these are the lower achieving. It was just really, really, really randomized. Um, that, that was a lot of fun, actually. Um, and then, so when you do have students in small groups, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like you mentioned, uh, especially if they pick their own groups and they want to work with friends, it can be very easy for students to drift off and get distracted, um, which is why you got to plan to have the students uh, be accountable for the work, mm-hmm. even if it's play, like, you know, this is how we're going to play safely, or this is what's off limits, or this is what we can do. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, and, and there are different ways you can hold students accountable. Um, and some of this might have like a checklist, some kind of log, completing a worksheet. Or and since since we you and I deal with the little ones, I basically uh, have like a quote unquote worksheet. Basically, like they stamp it every time they're done um, doing a certain part. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Again, lots of play. Maybe they finish a puzzle, then they quickly stamp their their, their worksheet, um, or they get a high five, or they token out as well. Mm-hmm. So. Those are some of the ways I, I hold my kids accountable. Obviously, it changes if we, you know, with the older groups, and you can have them turn in uh, more homework or drop off box. Mm-hmm. It really depends on your age group. But for you, Absolutely. how do you hold your students accountable in their small groups? Um, that's a great question because I feel like. I mean, I, I do go over the rules when I feel like the class is going a little crazy and I have them tell me rather than me tell them. Um, but I use them. I don't even know how to describe it. I guess we call them, we call them tickets and that's how they move from center to center. So they need that before they can go anywhere else. And it's just a little ID badge that has a picture of themselves in it. And then that way I know what center they were at if they start wandering. And that's kind of like their way to go to each center because each center has a certain amount of kids that are allowed in that center. Like dramatic play, for example, can have three children in that center. So there's three little hooks that they have to put their ticket on before they can go. And if it's full, they put their name on a wait list and then they have to wait their turn. Wow, pretty fancy. I hope you. Uh, that's. I like it. I hope you took advantage of this whole ticket system for uh, for Halloween. Like, uh, I would dress up like like a like a, like a train conductor and be like tickets, please. Or uh, I say that every day when we come, when we clean up from centers when it's getting ready for lunch. I'm like, all right, tickets, please, tickets, please. Where are your tickets? And they need their tickets to move on to the next thing. So our tickets is probably our biggest um, accountability. Oh, wow. That, that, that's pretty neat. For me, uh, what I have is these color, they're not as fancy as yours. I mean, they don't have a, they don't have the whole retinal scan or thumbprint or like yours. No, but uh, <laughs> mine's just the color tickets. And so say for example, uh, we have the blue, purple and green group. So I'm at the purple group. And then my, my other aides might you know, have an aid in the green group or the red group. And so basically my students, since I'm the purple group and they're going to go to the red group next. So we do a countdown and to basically, all right, time to clean up. And then I'll give them a red ticket so that they can go give it to the teacher or the, the aide, the adult that's at the red, uh, red table. And then there's a little cup where they put in the red, uh, the red ticket. And, uh, and it helps out for students like, all right, let me look at my ticket, which table matches my ticket color. And that way they can do it independently uh, in case they don't hear like the hundred times I say, all right, rotate or go to this group. They can always look at their, their ticket, um, their ticket color. Cause I mean, you and I both know, no matter how many times we repeat something, it'll still go in one year and not the other. So I try and have that visual reminder uh, as well. So. Yes. Visual reminders are everything, <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, they, <laughs> especially in pre-K. <laughs> Yeah. And I even seen some teachers do kind of like, like masking tape or I forget what this other teacher did. Like it's, it was like this Velcro that she put on the floor and it's kind of like a pathway for students can follow. So, you know, this is the flow of the rotation and that way you don't have, I mean, the classroom's not small enough where they'll bump into each other, but still like it's a little directional arrows on the floor to help them know which way, uh, so that was a pretty neat uh, idea. Yeah. And let's see. So uh, there are many cases uh, for me where I might leave an answer sheet somewhere uh, in the classroom 
for those students who do finish early. And this is, this is what the older groups, uh, not really the small groups, but this is with the older groups. And so, uh, it's kind of for them to check their answer and basically you know, a way to hold themselves accountable or, or I could even have the students who might have finished early and got all the answers right. I would give the answer sheet to them and they go around and help others. Uh, so, and then even just talking about how you, so for example, I really like your ticket idea. So <laughs> say for example, I, I talked with this to another teacher from, but she has this badge idea, kind of similar mm-hmm. to what you do. So for example, these students have these badges, uh, based on certain characteristics or, or uh, achievements they had. So for example, this student could have you know a helper badge or a helper ticket, and this gives them the opportunity to help other students that might need help with homework or might need help cleaning up or have this other student could be this ticket to, or ticket or badge to help them. Like this is the, you know, the, the cleaner to go help clean up or stack the chairs or clean up the toys or mm-hmm. I might have another student that you're the the light monitor or turn off the on and off the lights when mm-hmm. uh, for us like when, when it's recess or lunch or break we, we sometimes watch like short like five ten minute videos mm-hmm. do you ever I guess do something like that where you have students help each other out or someone's in charge or someone kind of has like an answer sheet or something Absolutely. Um, I don't have an answer sheet, but to kind of go with the badge idea you were just describing, we do classroom jobs. Um, so each child has a classroom job, whether it be the door holder or the electrician, and they're in charge of turning off the lights, um, snack helper, line leader, caboose, um, the meteorologist, those are just some of the few jobs. And I let my kids have the job for the week. So they hold themselves accountable. They remember, this is my job. I need to do it. And then it also gives me time to assess that they can do that skill um, or assess whatever skill comes of that job. Like I have one that's attendance count, uh, attendance taker. So that's just really counting how many friends we have on that particular day. So it would be one-to-one correspondence and counting, um, one to potentially 14 or 15 if all my kids show up. Um, so that's typically what I do in my classroom. I like the, yeah, I have classroom jobs too. Do you say you have one be a meteorologist and basically yes. telling the weather? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Do you have them go outside and like, Oh, it's, it's sunny or it's cloudy. They go up to the window. We usually do. Um, the meteorologist usually does their job at morning meeting. And I tell them, I said, all right, meteorologists, so-and-so can, what's the weather, what's your forecast. And I use all of those words. So they become familiar with them and they start using them as well. And it's pretty cool to see. And they love it. They run right up to the window and they're like, I think today is sunny. (laughs) (laughs) That's cute. I like how you you use official terms. It's nice. Um, I have certain students and some of them, they script uh, because I I work with a special needs and some of them do script uh, certain things. I say like, oh, so-and-so is here. Not today. Oh, today is Monday. Tomorrow is Tuesday. And yesterday was Sunday. (laughs) They'll they'll script it out. And it's really cute because, again, I'm not... You know, I'm not quote unquote like dumbing things down. I'm using the actual terms and words that you, you would see or that they would use in every day. And so that, that's, that's a nice aspect Absolutely. that you have there. It's a great way to expand their vocabulary too, because most of them didn't know what that was on the first day of school, but now they all know what it is. Or um, one of my favorite one is botanist and it's just watering the plants, but they all say, I need to do the botanist today. (laughs) (laughs) Your classroom sounds awesome. So you have, you have a garden in there or it's just small plants? We just have, I have like two small plants in the classroom that I brought from home or one of them was actually gifted from a student. Um, so I just keep them in the classroom and they help me take care of it because I would probably not do so well if it wasn't for their help. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's cute. Yeah. So yeah, student jobs are, are great. Uh, great way to get everyone involved and great way to really, I guess, foster that community, uh, that feeling of uh, that sense of community. So, mm-hmm. And then 
I know most teachers use uh, small groups after teaching. So after I address the whole class, so for example, for I have our morning group and then we do small groups right after. And so I've actually had situations where we start off with small groups and examples are basically having students get in, in small groups and... Uh, this is with the older groups, so the older age, but I can have them summarize what we did yesterday um, or how was your weekend? Basically some kind of like social interaction, like how was your weekend? Or for example, when we come back from winter break, I might say how, go share what you did over the winter break. Uh, you know, it, It's a really great way to students work on their social skills and also for you to see what it is they might have learned from the previous lesson. And when I do start off with small groups and that's your chance to either walk around and see how students are engaging, uh, how they're communicating, kind of take you know, gauge to see how much they actually learned. Um, if students are just chit chatting or it's absolute silence, then you know either they didn't do the homework or they didn't. They're not you know, following directions. Um, and you can put a list of tasks for the students to do in their small groups if you, if you want to. So you can also take data and identify students that you might want to work with while wa walking around. Um, for distance learning, what I have been doing is having students start off in the main group or um, I, we use Google meets and then have their small breakout groups. And I stop by each breakout room to see how they're doing and kind of like sampling where if you don't have the time to check in on every single student, um, then you can check in on every single group to see how they're doing. So take something like if you have 30 kids in your classroom, um, then that would be a lot of work checking in every you know single student. But if you have small groups, then you might you know only check in on seven groups. And if four out of those seven groups are not understanding the problem or uh, not getting the work, then that's a pretty good indicator that I need to reteach whatever it is that they they didn't understand. So yeah, those are those are different ways I might use small groups. You know, one in the morning just to like get to you know each other, just kind of like kind of like break the ice. Um, do you use small groups like maybe even unplanned? Um, yeah, I would say so. I think sometimes if they bring up something in large group and it just kind of like a lesson happens organically almost because of their just pure interest. Um, sometimes they will have do a small group and do it based off what we talked about in small group. Um, like for instance, one thing that I can think of is, um, it actually happened during breakfast because we do meals within our classroom. Um, and one of my kids was asking questions about how to add numbers, which is not a typical conversation you have in preschool. But all of my students were so interested and they wanted to see me write it on the board. And it ended up being like this lesson that I ended up kind of carrying over into a small group with those kids that I knew could handle it. Um, and we just did like simple numbers, even though it started with like larger numbers. This child was throwing at me. <laughs> he is one of my um, more higher level students. Um, but it just really like everybody was so amazed and so interested in how it all worked and seeing it on the board. And it was really cool to see them also interested in something that you didn't think they would be interested, like adding, especially at this age. Um, so those sort of things I like doing occasionally because they just happen organically. It's what they're interested in. So I just will occasionally follow their lead versus what I had planned for that day. That's pretty cool. That's a very smart kid. I wonder what's going to you know, happen one day. He, you know, he comes in. All right. Teach me the Pythagorean theorem. Yeah. He's, <laughs> he's, my, he's my kiddo that's already reading. Like, and I didn't know until I caught him doing it one day. And the other day I sent home a newsletter every month and he was reading the newsletter as we were walking out for dismissal. And I had to stop him because I was like, you're going to fall down the stairs. <laughs> he oh. said, but I need to read the newsletter. <laughs> <laughs> you're like a little old man, but you can read it when you get home. I want you to get there safely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this, uh, the description you give, the, the first image that I get is like, I don't know, the, the classic image you get of a, of a, an adult reading the newspaper while walking in the streets. Oh, that's, that's exactly. That's what it looks like. <laughs> <laughs> Just 
picture a little tiny four-year-old. <laughs> I need to know what's on, what's on the menu for this Thursday. <laughs> yeah, that was, he was so intrigued and just wanted to read it. And it's amazing to see because it's not something you always see in pre-K. Um, just he's so into reading letters and pointing out what I'm writing and it's fascinating even as a teacher (laughs) that's pretty cute for for me um yeah particularly after recess or after lunch when we come in you know technically we're supposed to jump into another lesson Mm -hmm. but there's sometimes where like I see they still need another 10 or 15 minutes to get their wiggles out so I say all right Go to your red group, go to your small groups and go basically play, um, dramatic play or creative play and do a puzzle because I know that I am not going to be able to get any work done because uh, they still <laughs> need to get that energy out. And so, yeah, th- those are some of the ways I, I do the small groups. It's unplanned. All right, go five minutes, go, uh, go do this and this and that. Um, mm-hmm. Um, I've absolutely done that before. I was like, you need more time to play. We're not going to read a story today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so they, they, they can be used pretty much almost any time. Um, mm-hmm. I actually, I mean, this is, this example here is with the upper grades. So I've had situations where the class is maybe writing a short story and everyone's at a different pace and I could be at my table and I'm kind of like the, the final part of these, of these short stories that they're working on. So I have like a sign up sheet and basically they're supposed to sign up with me for like that final one-on-one revision, basically give them the go to go ahead and this is the final copy you're going to go ahead and type. Um, and I could also have like two dedicated areas for different parts of the writing process. For example, one small group table might be for those who are maybe just still in the brainstorming process. And then another one could be, uh, for peer review. So partner up with someone and trade papers and do a peer review. And then the last one might be, uh, where students just at their desk, uh, typing up the final draft or the final version after they met with me for the one-on-one uh, revision. I mean, obviously th- this changes for, you know, f- for our age group, for me, I've done it with art, uh, particularly around the, um, around the seasons we do certain art projects and everyone's at a different pace. And so I might have all the kids that are, I guess, needing, um, more adult supervision. Like we might need the haglu gun. They're at this table and I have a, I have an aide there. And then another table might be those who are like still cutting and, and coloring and then another table might be for those who are just looking through magazines trying to get their their pictures have you done something like this um yeah i we definitely have a lot of materials that are out for kids to use especially in art um my kid most of my kids would spend all day in art and because of all of the strict restrictions for the world we live in right now. Um, my kids actually have their own individual, like almost shoebox size, um, with all their art materials in it. And I replenish it as they like deplete it. Um, so they have all sorts of crafting materials at their exposure. Um, and they love it and they call it their art box and that has their name on it and everything's labeled and they know what's in theirs is theirs. That doesn't go to say that some things have gone missing or some kids end up with four blue markers. And I don't understand how it happens, especially when you're watching. (laughs) Um, But little kids are magicians sometimes, but they love their art books and they love being able to get creative. And if they don't have something, they will surely ask me for it. And nine times out of 10, it's usually in the closet and I just let them go explore. I like the idea of the, the art boxes. Do you have them decorated too? They're like the name and I guess whatever design they want to put on it. Um, I haven't thought of that. It's just a clear like plastic bin oh, okay, okay. that the school gave us. Um, so I'm not sure if they would, I mean, besides stickers, you could probably decorate it, but the school gave it to us. So I'm not sure if they're going to want those back or we're going to reuse them and sanitize them if need be. Um, but they, I mean, their names on it, it's all individualized and mm-hmm. they love it. It I works really well because then you're not constantly 
sanitizing tons of markers. <laughs> yeah. I've done something similar where it's kind of like shoe boxes and the kids decorate the box. Like kids draw dinosaurs or mm-hmm. spaceships or whatever, whatever it is they like. And it's their box and they're responsible for it and kind of teaches responsibility. And again, yeah, you're right. Students are uh, amazing musicians. Uh, you know, it's like one of those tricks that you like being on it's like that reverse trick where they start off with a hat full of stuff and then all of a sudden it's empty. Mm-hmm. I honestly don't know how it happens. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And so something like that where you have stations where maybe everyone's working on the same project, but everyone's at different levels of the project. Mm-hmm. It's a great way to visually see where everyone's at. And I could take a quick glance. Like, all right. looks like half of the class is still in the cutting phase or half the class mm-hmm. is still, you know, if you were the older kids, it might be, Oh, half the class is still in the brainstorming process. And, uh, I've done this a few times. Um, basically working with the little ones where the small groups were the same lesson, but just different methods. Um, and so basically one method was me teaching, uh, life teaching to a small group and then another table or another small group was where I had the iPads are and had the students working on this like interactive app, um, and interactive videos on the iPad. And then another one, I had students, uh, they were educational games, but, um, working on educational games on, on their Chromebook. And then I had another small group where the students were basically working with each other. And this is pretty much the group that finished everything that I needed to do. So they were able to work, or read the books or play with the train tracks that we have in the classroom. Um, I could even added another small group for those who maybe just wanted to relax. I have also a sensory area where it's just, uh, students that they really want to like these lounges, uh, lounge pillows or these chairs are really basically mostly just for relaxing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, have you done something similar like that where everyone's, I guess, working on maybe the same thing, but doing it in the, I guess, getting a different content or, you know, working the same content, but a different method of it. I haven't done it this year, but I have in the past. Um, but like you said, it is a great way to see where everybody's at at one time rather than doing, um, several groups of the same thing. Um, I think it also helps us as a teacher to not have to do the same lesson three or four times, um, (laughs) different ways, but I, um, basically the same lesson. So it definitely helps as a teacher, probably more so than a student. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's a big, uh, big time saver. And so I definitely take advantage of stuff that's already created. Like there's plenty of great resources on, on YouTube and, Mm -hmm. uh, depending which textbook you have, it usually comes with the the ebook or other, or even the iPads, the educational uh, applications that come with it. So definitely a big time saver instead of starting from scratch. Yes. Uh, I even like it when I have students who maybe have, and I know we talked about this before, but they have a greater grasp on the content. Mm-hmm. Um, like even you said, you might have those, uh, those star students or maybe those jobs that you give out or the badges of the tickets and mm-hmm. we can have them be in charge of helping other students out. Uh, obviously I wish we had either obviously I wish I either had eight other arms or eight, eight other clones of myself. Right. So, <laughs> <laughs> what we can do the other alternative is having these students uh, who might be a higher achieving in this particular task is, you know, I might have a star student that's it's a star student in this task, but they may struggle in another part of the area. So I might have the star student that, that's really good in this particular task or this activity. And I would have them help around the class. Um, and, that, that was a nice feature. That's, that's a nice uh, way to really utilize them. And then another thing I would try and do is have check-ins and, you know, try and check in with the students every so often to make sure they are still doing their work. And basically this is a way of me getting feedback. Like, all right, thumbs up if you need another minute or mm-hmm. hand you know, one, two or three, one, I feel good. Uh, two, I'm so, so three, I have no idea what I'm doing. Something like that. Where you have a quick check-in and that feedback to see whether or not these small groups are working. And if something's not working, then 
what is not working? Is it the way I have the small groups put together? Is it the environment? Is it, is it me as a teacher? Like, is it my instruction that's not working? So, or do they not have all the materials? So check-ins are a big, uh, big, big part of the, the small groups because if I don't check in on the students, either A, they're going to be drifting off just doing whatever or B, they'll literally just sit there doing nothing because they don't understand what they're supposed to do. And then I check in 10 minutes later. All right, let's see what we got done. And they literally have nothing on there. <laughs> they have done nothing whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Do you get a lot of feedback from your students when you do check-ins? Uh, yeah, I would say so. I don't do check-ins as often because like I said um, before, we I typically do the small group with them. And then when they're not with me, they're just typically playing. Um, <laughs> but my students, even if they're with me, they'll be like, not feeling this. Yes. And I can usually tell either they'll tell me verbally or their eyes will be at their center that I just um, kind of may have pulled them from or whatever their friend is doing. They're just super distracted. Um, so I'll... I take their lead when that happens. Typically I'll just be like, all right, two more minutes and then you can go back just so I can still try and get some data from it. Um, but I obviously don't want to force my kids to be there if they're not interested in it or if it's not working for them or they might just be having an off day and they just don't want to work with me. They just want to do their own thing. And that's cool too. I get it. Yeah, I definitely try and uh, get that fever from the students. So say all done or, or more please and try mm-hmm. to see whether they do want to keep working at the activity and maybe they're just, you know, they were looking, they were quickly distracted by their friend who's at the library, but they, you know, they really want to keep working the activity or they're just totally over it. If they do say they're all done, I, you know, I acknowledge, okay, we're all done. Or sometimes I might say one more problem and then we're all done Yeah, uh, because again, I don't want to force them to sit there. Um, otherwise it just, you know, becomes a, a horrible experience. And exactly. uh, I, I think you, you know, you said before how bad certain experiences were for you with small groups. Uh, mm-hmm. so. <laughs> I think, which is why I usually take their lead. I'm like, all right, if you don't want to do it, I'm not going to force you to. And then hopefully sometimes I've even had the students where they see their friends come over and they're having so much fun of it that they kind of walk by and they kind of like peek at the table, see what we're doing. And then they end up coming back uh, later in the day. So I end up getting them back, but I don't think I would have if I had them like stay at that center when they didn't want to be there. Um, I had some situations where a student will say all done. I said, okay, you're all done. And then I'm still working with another student at that table. Mm-hmm. And I guess the student that I'm working with is, is having a grand old time, the time of their life. And that student will turn around and come back and say like, why, why are you two having so much fun? And then exactly. the student will yeah. want to join in again. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, as we wrap this episode up, is there any advice that you would give to new teachers or those just even thinking about entering the educational field? Um, so as a new teacher myself, this is my first year teaching, but for somebody who has longed to be in the education field for so long, my best advice would be if you want to be a teacher, do it. Um, if you have a passion for it, go for it because there were time and time again where I was told I would never be a teacher. I would never be a good teacher. I've heard it all. Um, but just go for it. If it's something you love, because every day is a brand new day. Every day is another, like a brand new experience. It's always something new, especially with the little ones. I feel like every day is a new day. I'm always laughing. I'm learning from them as much as they're learning from me. Um, and I couldn't be happier with my career choice. So if you want to be a teacher, do it. Uh, I'm really curious who, so people told you that you would never be a teacher. Yeah. Um, I was told I wasn't supposed to graduate from high school. I wasn't going to get into college. Um, was told I'd never get my teaching certification, but jokes on them because here I am. (laughs) Have you, have you mailed those people your, uh, your yearbook photo? Just (laughs) (laughs) my guidance 
guidance counselor in um, high school. I did um, go to her office when I got my acceptance letter to college and I showed her and I said, um, remember that time you told me I wasn't going to get into a four-year college? And she was like, yeah, you applied to CCRI, which is our community college. And she kind of was like, yeah, you did that. Right. And I was like, yeah, I did that, but I want you to take a look at this. And I just walked away and it was one of the greatest feelings ever. <laughs> it's like one of those, uh, walking away from explosion, like moments in the yeah. movies. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I didn't have such a good relationship, uh, back in with my high school history teacher. And basically I guess, Several years later, um, when I did get my credential program, I ran into this teacher and she, you know, she recognized me as, Oh, Hey Albert, how's it going? And then I guess I, I brought the news on her and Oh, by the way, I'm teaching. She's there was like the longest pause. Oh, <laughs> oh okay. Congratulations. <laughs> so. But yeah, I mean, with lots of persistence, you know, if you, if you definitely know that in your heart that mm -hmm. you want to teach and, you know, definitely go for it. So, Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, I wasn't, there were obviously people who supported me all along the way and teachers who told me that I would be great for it, despite those of those who told me I wouldn't. Um, but I'm glad I didn't listen to those who told me I would never make it to where I am. Mm. Uh, I'm also curious, curious, is this, uh, was this your first, um, is this your preferred age group or is, this, is there another age group that you want to work with? This is my preferred age group. I love early childhood. I did try to work with older elementary, like fourth grade. Um, and it just wasn't for me. I really like pre-K. Um, I would love to teach kindergarten too, but pre-K kindergarten, maybe first or second but pre-K and kindergarten is really where my heart is at. Um, yep. So I'll definitely tell you that's where I get all my Fitbit steps in <laughs> running around. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Today outside I was the tickle monster and I had to run around <laughs> tickle every single one of my students multiple times and they wouldn't let me stop. So I definitely get my steps in. <laughs> all right. Well, with that being said, this has been another episode of Teachers Care Society. I want to say thank you to today's guest, uh, Macy, and most importantly, you, the listeners. See you next time.